EBA is a place for everyone, doubters and believers alike, to discuss theology, current events, and a rediscovery of radical hope. Find us on Facebook at Doubters forward slash Believers Alliance and on Instagram at Doubters Believers. to not be with them and you think you break up with them and yet they keep coming back and keep coming back and then they tell you that they're pregnant just kidding sorry i don't know where i went with that um i'm trying to get my microphone situated here and it's kind of making me mad uh hello nope i think that's good i think it's good yep we're good thanks you amanda um yeah happy 2022 last week i talked about uh syncretism and kind of synthesizing um, different religions together. You know, I talked about, like, Christianity and Buddhism and, you know, other things. Um, and I, I've got some good replies. I got some good comments from people um, about the reliability of Christianity and things like that. And I was really excited about the talk, even though my cat was attacking me while I was talking and Ava was kind of having a little bit of a meltdown, so it is what it is, so I'm happy to be back here today. Um, Yeah, one thing I wanted to make people aware of is um, when when this is up on the podcast, um, not just for DBA, but also for Sacred Collective, I got new music. Um, Caleb is doing the, the exit or outro music, and I have some local groups who are a local friend who's a fabulous musician, but he had, during the pandemic, him and a buddy of him started a band called OFT, and you can find them on Bandcamp, and they just make really cool music a lot with, you know, like a drum machine and, and synths, and it's just really cool stuff. So when you listen to that um, in the intro music, Caleb does a really good job of kind of fading it in and out, and then, you know, the normal intro that um, Amanda does about DBA and Sacred Collective is there. But it's really good. Um, I was going to pay him for it, but they said, nope, we'll just do this um, for you. It's really good stuff. And if you know me, I'm all about supporting local local people, um, local music, local breweries, local, you know, artisans, because I feel like we're a local artisan in a way um, with what we're doing with with dba um yeah so that's pretty exciting um what i'm going to talk about i'll say in a second but i'm still we're still sometime searching in the spring um my myself my friend skyder who you've heard speak um i've interviewed him a couple times on the podcast and he spoke back in july of last year um but me and him and then our good friend tim dr tim setapetaratna we're going to do like a one day, probably Zoom kind of course seminar just on deconstruction, <laughs> deconstruction and why the like American church is dying and kind of just play around with that idea. We'll probably cost, charge a little fee, maybe five or $10 just because of our time putting it together and whatnot. And because Scotty's also 
seven time zones ahead of us in Switzerland, where Tim and I are local. So we're really looking forward to doing that. And I know talking to all three, all three of us together is t- 2022 is kind of a year where we want to get our creative juices flowing even more. Um, who knows if we're going to have another lockdown? Who knows? what's going to happen in the next no one knows what's going to happen next week let alone a month or two from now or six months from now but you know a man and i before going to bed last night we're just kind of talking about sacred collective we're talking about dba just talking about how things can change for the better maybe i need to spend more time you know doing things for it you know marketing and such things but hey i will say this if anybody's listening um if whether you're local in Minnesota here or national or even international, I'm all about if you want to have us talk about your art, your whatever, we would love to team up with you. Um, I can't pay any money for what am I trying to say? Almost like a sponsorship. But if anybody knows me, I'm all about if you support DBA and talk dba up or sacred collective we will do the same for you because that's kind of the world that we're in um whether you're a brewery uh you make clothes things like that i will say i will say this and sorry if my child is making a ruckus in the background um i will say and i've talked about this before talking about local artisans check out my wife's shop the misfit attic um find her on instagram find her on facebook uh, where else are you? Oh, Amanda's in the process of making stickers. So support her. She has a lot of cool stuff. She hasn't done any shows here in the winter months because it's just kind of hard. But she was added in the fall and, and in the summer, and she'll do a couple more. But So I just want to shout out to Amanda Shop, the Misfit Attic. And so it's things like that, you know, sponsorships and throwing things out because I think that's how community grows. I think that's how artisans grow. I just think that, uh, I don't know, is word of mouth is the best thing um, to get people connected. So enough about that. I'm going to drink my hot coffee today because it's so cold out. And I can't just complain about weather anymore because literally all of like America is under snow right now, <laughs> except for the South. Like if you know Jay Baker at all and Revolution out in Seattle, they got a ton of snow over over the holidays um we don't have a ton of snow here but it's bitterly cold and then i guess out on the east coast they got walloped with a lot of snow and i think it was on the news recently that out in virginia i think it was like interstate 95 they have they they don't get snow out there and they got like three or four inches and people were stuck on the freeway for 24 hours they were stuck in their cars um somebody said that their uber bill was over 600 dollars because they got stuck um on the freeway and no one died or anything luckily but i guess out in the east coast right now they're having a really big snowstorm so yes winter is here in america uh, it's january it's cold as heck um so stay warm i hope if anybody's watching this from somewhere else or listening to it they can say hey it's like 80 degrees in florida or wherever right now i think when i got out of the car it said it was two degrees two degrees above zero so that's cold. It was better, though, than Friday morning. Friday morning when I was at work, it was negative 19. So cold. And I'm not lying. My facial hair froze. My mustache froze. My beard froze. 
and my nostril hairs froze. You know that you're in cold weather when your nostril hairs freeze and you could cut, you know, you could snap them off like a twig. That's, ugh. Enough about me bitching and moaning about the weather because I'm, Caleb would always make fun of me. He's like, you always talk about weather. I said, that's what Minnesotans do. We always talk about the weather, or people in the Midwest, we always talk about the weather and how cold it is. It's either too cold or it's too hot or it's too windy or it's too rainy. That's just what we do. So, the name of the talk today, uh, and I can't say that I came up with it myself, I'll tell you throughout this talk where it came from, but the name of the talk is called, The American Church is Dead and God Killed It. Uh... I know it kind of seems ballsy to make such a claim as that, but you will see why I came up with this, why I've talked about it. Um, and I know I've talked about things like this before in in the past, but I think I've alluded to it more than just had like a full deep conversation of, uh, around it. And this is, I'm going to get in, I'm not going to say that this is going to be a boring talk, but it's going to have a lot of numbers coming out you. I looked up some of the data so people can't just be like, well, Brian's pulling that out of his butt. Um, I haven't. I actually went in and looked at where, you know, where these footnotes in and in these articles. Um, and it's pretty surprising to nonetheless to see uh, these numbers and what I'm going to say. Um, and I'm not just talking about the evangelical church. I'm talking about mainline Protestant Christianity as well. Obviously, I'm not going to talk about maybe each individual denomination because we would be here for hours and i'm not going to obviously talk about churches like the eastern orthodox or you know coptic christianity or egyptian christianity i'm going to strictly talk about western american christianity as we see it since i can only talk about the context of which of where i live and the country i'm from so uh how this phrase came about is like i said my good friend scotty um he's originally from louisiana and there was a friend of his and i'm not gonna i'm gonna maybe not get the story 100 percent right like names and maybe locations but nonetheless the story is true but he had a good friend of his down because he's from shreveport louisiana where it's if you know where shreveport it's like the northwest corner um of the state um far far away from uh from New Orleans, but this person that my friend Scotty knew, Sky was educated, super smart, um, went, I think went to an Ivy League school and maybe was even on staff in the, in like the theology department at Duke. So this person was quite well known, had uh, a really good um, intellectual background. And, um, Anyway, some of that was just got a random comment that showed up there. Um, anyway, we he was talking to me about this because Scotty said that he was talking with this person and he was kind of wondering why he was back down in Shreveport while he was down there. He's like, I thought you were teaching. I thought you were doing all this. And he had more or less was just saying like academia struggling, the church is struggling, you know, all this stuff is happening. I just got burnt out you know, all this stuff. Uh, and, but this individual who Scotty is friends with, um, his parents had a really well-known bakery um, in that region up in the Shreveport area. 
where people would just, you know, people would come all over from that region and get the good pastries and things like that. And it was kind of like in New Orleans where it's that popular, um, that popular pastry down in New Orleans. The uh, Kurdish know what I'm talking about. Uh, it's like a pastry that they have down there. At, huh? Yeah, beignet. It was, like, New Orleans is like the beignets, and I don't know if it was like a beignet up there. But anyway, he, he, uh, well, so yeah, his parents were running this, and he was working there, and he had this uh, bright idea of, hey, you know what? I know stuff about theology. I know stuff about Christianity, whatever. And I don't know. I think it was like a shop next door that they owned too. And more or less, so he started like a spiritual community in this restaurant slash bar that was next door. So people would come and get their pastries or beignets and coffee or whatever. And then they would have this spiritual community right there and at first it wasn't going really that well and then you know practice makes perfect you know at time and you know just being somewhere over and over and over again um will help and this grew into something that was really big so scotty and this individual were talking and he said to scotty the american church is dead and dying and maybe just maybe god killed it and that that has stuck in my mind for the last number of months since he's told me that because and I'm nerdy and I'll go and look at you know church trends and you know data and stuff because my doctorate is literally in church stuff it's like church leadership it's it's you know kind of like the the anthropology and and the uh, philosophy of of pastoring and things like that and we've heard you know, going around right now, especially through the pandemic in the last six months to a year, we've heard of the the great resignation where people are just resigning um, so, so much. And, you know, you hear businessmen and women leaving. You hear, you know, the fast food industry, for instance, you know, how many there's even here in the Twin Cities, you can't pretty much go to a fast food place without them having a sign that says, you know, um, our menu might be changed due to the lack of, you know, staff or you go to you in some places and they might just say, hey, we're close because we don't have enough staff. And some of it's because of money, some of it's because of other things. But what people don't realize is there's a great pastoral resignation where pastors are not just burning out, but uh, there is that. There's pastoral burnout. But a lot of it is young men and women and even people who have been in ministry for 20, 30 years are just sick and tired of how a church is going, and so they resign from it. I've known at least three or four people that I've done ministry with who have quit, Who, and I'm obviously not going to say their names for the sake of anonymity, but they've confided in me that are like, Brian, we just can't do this anymore. We're stressed. We're tired. Um and it's like every time we do something, we give our time, we give our energy, you know, we're here on holidays, we're here on, you know, every, you know, we're here 24-7 that I just want a normal 9-to-5 job. I just want, you know, I can't, or, or else it's like I can't speak freely on my theology. I can't speak freely on, on, on certain views because I might get in trouble. And so in so many, in so many years past, 
people would just be quiet and people wouldn't say anything about it. And now people are standing up during this great, you know, great resignation and they're like, enough's enough, I'm leaving. And that's kind of one of the first things I'm going to talk about is the American church is dying and maybe God killed it is people are waking up. Lay members and pastors are waking up and are saying, I can't do this anymore. Um, and if I can't do it anymore as someone who's went to seminary, went to school to do this, how are people in the congregations going to do it? And let alone how are, you know, if people are going to go into a church and there's no pastor, yes, you can still have church. However, uh, you're always going to want a leader. Um, and I will say this real quick before I kind of get into the nitty gritty. I posted this on my Sacred Collective Instagram. And I also posted it on my um, on my personal one, Rogue Theologian. And I had a this pastor that I know out in um, Santa Cruz, California. And, he, and he, he, he didn't correct me, but I made it um, maybe a little bit more convoluted when I just wrote what I wrote. But he was saying, like, how can the American church die when the church is the people? And he was like, are you saying that you have an issue with the institutional church? Are you saying you have with, like, institutional ways of doing ministry and and community? And so he was right. So, Dan Kimball, if you're watching, I will say thank you for uh, keeping me, what's the word, keeping me um, right and, you know, kind of correcting me if I was off. But what I'm talking about with this is the American church is dead and God killed it is what we know as the institutional church, what we know as brick-and-mortar buildings, you know, denominational things. Because, yes, if you look at Scripture, the church is the community of people. It is, you know, Scripture says wherever two or three are gathered, he is there. God is there. The Spirit's there. So, yes, I'm not talking about the whole idea and concept of church is dead because you can't do that. But what I'm talking about is the institutionalized understanding of what church is is what i'm really getting at in this conversation so um as i've said uh, about the pastors i'm going to talk about this first as of 2021 38 percent of pastors have thought about quitting ministry or have quit 38 percent that comes from uh christianity today uh washington post and and for the conservative people, CBN. Um, so I thought that was pretty, C, you know, CT is more evangelical. WAPO is very, um, I don't know, maybe in the middle. And then CBN is obviously very conservative. So they all have agreed 38% of pastors within during the pandemic have either thought about leaving the church, their church where they're at, or have quit and aren't coming back. And I find that fascinating, and I didn't put this in there, but that is roughly two out of every five pastors, and it's, 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 it doesn't matter what denomination, it's just that's what it said. And I find that quite staggering. Two out of every five pastors, so if there's five pastors in a room, two of them have either quit or have thought about quitting, or who have at least, when asked this question, are really truthful with it. And... The reason they're saying that is a lot of it is because of the theology, because of the doctrine, doctrinal beliefs that they have to do. But they also said this in the article, most pastors 
work 55 to 75 hours in a week and are all and are on call 24/7 talk about burnout. And even when I was doing ministry stuff at the UCC, the pastor who I was working under who's since retired, she was putting in minimally, minimally 52 to 55 hours and it was more likely anywhere between 60 to the low 70s. That's almost working 16-hour days. Um, that's quite staggering. And I know pastors, a lot of pastors get paid good money, but there's also a lot of pastors that don't get good money. I have a job outside of ministry, outside of that, work out of college in the facilities department. And let me tell you, I have a clock in clock. I have a clock out, you know, clock or my time card. Uh, if I work anything over my eight hours allotted, they have to pay me overtime. Um, and usually... When you're talking about pastors, it's they they're um, salaried. They don't make an hourly wage. If you sign your contract and it's like you're gonna make sixty thousand dollars, but then we might give you ten thousand for you know housing allowance or this much money for school, they they hold you to that. So if you're making sixty thousand dollars a year pastoring, but you might be working fifty to sixty hours a week, that's really not that much money. Um, and I'm not up here, this isn't up here talking about pastors should make this much money or not. I'm just saying this is why, this is one of the symptoms, this is one of the effects of why people are leaving the church is because the pastors, in a way, are almost revolting. They're saying, enough's enough. I love my, I love this church, I love this community, I love Christ, but I can't do this anymore. I need to take a stand and if everyone else in the world is doing this great resignation, if fast food workers are, if you know people are unionizing, or if people are just saying enough's enough, then they are leaving. So that's staggering. And I remember even when I was going through the ordination training in the denomination that I've talked about, I mean, I literally looked at this pastor and I was like, I'm not ever going to work 55 to 75 hours without getting the adequate pay that I think I deserve. And she kind of laughed at me and put her hand on my shoulder and was like, well, you really don't have a choice. That's just kind of what you sign up for. So so that's the first point. And like I also put, the great resignation has hit clergy um, and lay people in droves. Some say it's because of the demands of the congregations, which it can be, or deconstruction or deconverting. I've also known a handful of pastors who have straight up deconverted. You know, pastors who, and I, I remember, I forget what person told me, but it's a staggering number, so don't quote me, and I'm not going to say a certain number, but it's staggering how many people, even in mainline Christianity, when I was in the UCC, I've had several UCC ministers say, I don't even believe in Jesus or Christianity anymore, but I'm doing it because this is all I know how to do. This is what I went to school for. This is what I was trained for. And just think about that. Having to talk to people about Jesus or God or Scripture, even though you don't believe in that anymore, but that's all you went to school for. That's all you know how you were trained. That's like someone, to me, that's like a professional athlete playing basketball who literally hates basketball, loathes it, but still plays it because that's the only thing they know how to do. That would just be, that would, that would suck so much energy and life and joy out of my life, but yet there's pastors doing it. 
and and this is doesn't matter what denominations I've list I listen to tons of podcasts and all this stuff and especially you know over the Christmas holiday I had a lot of free time because I didn't have to work just listening to former pastors talk about their deconversions and and their they're walking away from faith and how that's freed them and you know they're like i'm still paying back you know the government for school loans or private loans and it's just it's just staggering at how many people pastors and lay leaders are leaving the church so that's another big reason why individuals are leaving is deconstruction it's deconversion it's the congregations insistent you know i remember um when I was interning and, and hearing pastors just say, you know, you could have just left church. You could have just been at church all day with meetings and stuff, and you're going to have two or three congregants call you on the way home. And, oh, why is why did this not happen? Why didn't you call me back or all this? And it's just never, never ending. So I feel like in that way I kind of <laughs> kind of dodged a bullet by leaving. However, this next part that I'm going to talk about when I was looking it up, is uh quite staggering this what i'm going to talk about i know not everyone who listens or who watches are from minnesota but these numbers that i'm going to read to you are strictly from minnesota and about minnesota uh and i always remember when jay baker first moved here he was saying this is the toughest place minneapolis is the toughest place that I've ever done ministry before. He's like, when I was started in Phoenix and then went to Atlanta and then went to New York and now here, he was like, all those locations before here, even New York City, you know, he he was like, you had 20, 30 people showing up. You had artisans and, you know, all these other people coming in. And why is it when you come into Minnesota that, you know, no one's coming to like a bar church to talk about God? And I was like, because Minnesota is, and I'm just going to say it, we're a very secular place. And people might be like, oh, Minnesota, like blah, blah, blah. And that's what people don't know who aren't from here. I mean, you can be a transplant from here, but as a lifelong Minnesotan, I can tell you, we have every religious expression in the Twin Cities that you can imagine. Uh, if you want to be a Catholic, great. Pick your, pick your poison. You know, if you want to be a Lutheran, great. There's a Lutheran church on every corner. Uh, you want to be a Pentecostal, pick it. You know, right down the road here where Jay used to live, we have one of the biggest Unitarian Universal churches in America. It's massive. And there's like 20,000 people that go there. And they do, they're not even, you know, Christian. They're, they're what they are. There's Unitarian churches, Congregationalist churches, Episcopalian churches. You cannot go on a corner without there being a church. Um, I know I'm not the only one that's doing a bar church in the Twin Cities. I know I'm not the only one doing live streams on Facebook. So that is what I'm talking about. When people are like, why is Minnesota, like, it seems like no one comes to our churches, no one does it. Because it's oversaturated. Because people are like, there's every church I can think of, any religion, there's Buddhist temples in the Twin Cities. There's Mormon Mormon Tabernacles or whatever. There's JWs. Um, there's there's Baha'i. There's a Baha'i temple down the road, if you know what the Baha'i faith is. There's a big old Church of Scientology in downtown St. Paul. So what I'm meaning is 
Minnesota's hemorrhaging different religious expressions. And so when people come here and they're like, why aren't people coming to our churches? Is because I think so many people are just oversaturated with it. And they're like, this doesn't affect me and I don't need it. And and if they do, you're like, hey, if you're like, I'm a Christian and I want to go to the Baha'i Temple, great, you can go to Baha'i Temple. I've, I could walk right into this Unitarian Universalist church down the road maybe fit right in, and then the next week go into a Pentecostal church. That is how faith is set up here. And there's even, like, atheist communities that are growing here in in the Twin Cities. So it's—that's one thing I I told Jay when he moved here. I said, you needed to research this before you come in, not as, like, a a slap on the wrist to tell him, like, how dare you, but it's like, no, Minneapolis is a very, very— it's religiously diverse, but it's always it's also very secular where people are like, I don't really, you don't have as many people in the Twin Cities metro that go to church as maybe rural or smaller town um, Minnesota. But I'm going to throw some numbers here, and like I said, they're kind of staggering. And if this is a little long today, I'm sorry, but I thought it was a good thing to talk about. So, and this is from the Star Tribune, and this was from 2018, and I don't, think maybe the numbers have changed that much if they've changed it's probably for the worse but this is from the star tribune which is if anybody's watching don't know that it's uh it's the minneapolis big paper um very reputable wants tons of awards for journalism so the elca which is the evangelical lutheran church of america lost 30 percent of its congregations and closed 12.5 percent of its churches in minnesota the united methodist church lost 16.7% of its congregations and closed 10.2% of their churches. The the PCUSA, which is the Presbyterian Church USA, and this is between the years 2000 and 2015, so in a 15-year swath, had lost 40% of their congregations and 15.4% of their churches. That's staggering. That is showing you right there, and that's of 2018. And this wasn't uh, an an article that was slamming church or Christianity. It was just looking at the data. It was probably looking at these denominations and asking them. And of course, this any denominational head or body is not going to promote that. They're not going to say, "Hey, look at put a feather in my hat." But you know, I've been critical of evangelical churches. But I've also said mainline Christianity are like, hey, well, we're these cool progressive aunts and uncles and grandparents of the faith. But what they failed to realize is people are leaving in droves there too. Um, and I've said it before and people have asked me, Brian, why are you so critiquing this and all this stuff? I said, you look at your ELCA church. You look at your Presbyterian church. You look at your UCC church. How many young people are there how many gen y people do you see there how many gen z people do you see yeah you are gonna have some there i'm not gonna lie the ucc church that i'm a part of has millennial kids there um or i would say millennial adults they have gen z but by and large you go to most of these churches and they're predominantly white uh upper middle class people i'm talking about urban suburban and rural but they're not 
and I don't know if it's because they're not marketing themselves. I don't know if people think they have too much woke theology or what I think it is, is church just is not relevant anymore. People always hear, oh, give people grace, turn the other cheek, you know, love others as God would love you. But then when we're shown, like when we're, we're asked to do that, it's like, oh, well, uh, I got to go home. I got to go grocery shopping. I, uh, I got to take the kid to soccer practice. I got to do this. And you're like, hmm. Or if there's someone in your community uh, that needs help, you, you might be like, well, um, they can get help at the church. Well, guess what? Aren't we as people the church? You don't have to be First Assembly of God and, you know, Timbuktu or whatever congregational church in Stillwater to help someone. And I find these numbers are just, they're staggering. When I was looking at this article, I was like, holy cow, the, this is worse than I thought it was. Um, and people might be like, well, Brian, I always thought you were going to say 30 or 50 or 60 percent. But these denominations have been around, you know, 150 200 plus years and this article i didn't write this in here but the article is pretty much saying this is the worst decline for all these denominations than that they have ever seen so what i'm saying is that the american church is dying i'm giving you these numbers not to say yay but to show you what i'm talking about is really really happening and it's some people might say some, some people who are agnostic or atheistic might be like, yay, we need it to die. And I'm not trying to be up here saying I'm happy or sad. I'm just trying to say maybe what I'm saying is making sense and maybe to people who are in church or if you're listening and you're a pastor or a leader, how are you as a church or a ministry going to change what you're doing to you know, nip this in the bud? Or can you nip it in the butt? Is, is, is it worth saving? Um, <clears throat> moderate and liberal denominations in the U.S. have obviously are closing down churches uh, at a rate. No, I thought this was interesting. So main moderate liberal churches. So United Methodist Church, uh, Episcopalians, Presbyterians. That you hear people like, oh, we're going to do a new church plant or we're going to do this or do this. They, they're shutting down churches three to four times greater than the new churches that they're planning. So more and more brick and mortar churches are closing than starting. So let's say you have two new Presbyterian churches that are started here in the Twin Cities. Well, for those two new churches that are starting, you're going to have probably five to seven churches that are Presbyterian that are closing. And so what is the the diocese going to do? They're going to take that money from that church, those churches that fell apart and closed and moving it. And the church that I internship, what uh, interned at when I did my UCC stuff they, they merge with another church right down the road because they own their building and all this stuff, but they actually had a company uh, come in and they were like, we want your property and we're going to give you a pretty penny for it. And they did. But then they, instead of, and what they did, which was smart, is they fizzled out, but then they joined another church. And so 
it's one or big community, that's fine. But what I'm what this article was saying is that these churches cease to exist. They're done. They're over. They're gone. And I didn't even talk about the Catholic Church in here, um, but it was staggering numbers about the the Catholic Church and about and they interviewed like a one of the higher ups in the in the Catholic diocese here in the Twin Cities, and they were saying, yeah, we have a ton of long-standing Catholics, but we're not getting new Catholics, and we're not getting younger Catholics. So this church, the American church is dying, is happening in Catholicism all the way down to mainline to evangelical churches, and this is really sobering, but it's also maybe opening our eyes to see what's happening here. Um, Evangelical churches have declined as well. In 2006, so yes, it's a number of years uh, ago, uh, the population of evangelical Christians were 23%. So 23% of people in America who called themselves Christians, 23% were evangelicals, which I think is not funny, but growing up in the evangelical church like I have and like my wife has, evangelical churches will make you think that like every Christian in the world is evangelical, right? Oh, you go to a Baptist church, you go to a Pentecostal church, you know, any, you know, an even evangelical free church, they'll be like, we're all over the place. And when you look at the population of people who say that they're Christians, but only 23% are actually kind of members of an evangelical church, you re- start to realize, hey, th- this isn't, there's not as many evangelicals out there as the evangelical world will f- make you think that there is. However, in 2020, it fell to 14%. So in 2006, you had 23% of American Christians who classifies themselves as evangelicals. So from 2006 to 2020, how many years is that, guys, out off the top of your head? So in 14 years, so in a decade and almost a half, it fell from 23% to 14% called themselves evangelical Christians. That's a lot. That is a lot. That's 9%. In 14 years, and if the numbers keep going the way they are, who's to say by 2030 might be under than 10% of people in the in the country are calling themselves evangelical Christians. And like I said, I am not saying this to be bashing on any one denomination. I'm, that's not what I'm here. What I'm here with this talk is to say the American church is dying and maybe God is killing it. Because I tell people all the time, in the Bible, people think, oh, it's God that's going to destroy the world. It's going to be God that sets the world ablaze or whatever. And I'm like, no, the scripture makes it clear. What's going to destroy humanity is ourselves. Humans are going to destroy it. And I think going kind of using that same analogy or that same story, I think humans are destroying church because we're making church, regardless of denominations, less about community, less about God, less about creative expressions and spiritual expressions, and more about, oh, you're in this denomination, you're in this group of people that are like-minded like you, well, unless you think and act like us, then you're out the door. And I think that there's so many things going along with this making the church 
not relevant or making pastors burn out, making pastors quit. And I have talked to a numerous friends of mine who are pastors and they're, they're calling me weekly. Uh, Hey, Brian, or even texting me and they're like, I can't believe this happened. I had another fight or argument with this pastor or why is my congregation like this? And I'm just sitting back and I'm thinking, I dodged a flipping bullet getting out of all this stuff because if I get mad at myself of doing ministry stuff, then I can get mad at myself instead of being like, I have to go to a leadership board or I have to go to the ministry board and they said this and now they're going to go this way on and on and on and on. So, those numbers are staggering. In an article, this was uh, as of April of 2021, so not even a year ago, in an article by Adam Gabbett in April of 2021 in The Guardian, which is a British newspaper or British magazine, uh, he wrote about all this stuff, wrote about the decline in Christianity around the world. And he said, it's an allergic reaction to how conservative Christians had caused the decline of religion, mostly due to their views on abortion and LGBT rights. And people will say, oh, well, Brian, you know, Britain and Europe, especially Northern Europe, they've, they've been a little bit more secularized, a little bit more whatever for centuries or decades and I would, I would say, and you know, when people say, oh, America's a Christian nation and, you know, all this stuff. No, it's not. It's never been. That's a mythology that we like to hear. And I could be here all day saying, you know, our forefathers who, you know, helped founded this country. Like my wife and I, we just went to Boston for our anniversary trip back in November. And at a historical level, it was so cool to see all these buildings that were here built on in America before we were technically a country to see the gravestones of like Paul Revere and like Ben Franklin's parents, or, you know, we, we were like a foot away from where John Hancock is buried and he wrote the declaration of independence or he didn't write it, but he was a part of it. But to see all these things, but when you look back in the history books, people are like, Oh, these people were all Christians. And no, a lot of them weren't Christians. Uh, but what, people get caught up in as people left Britain for religious freedom, but it wasn't necessarily so they could come over to America to be Christians. It was so they could come over to America to make more money, to potentially enslave people, to all these things. So we got to get that right, is that America was never a Christian nation. However, within our own articles of being a country, we're saying that you have the freedom of religion. You have the freedom to worship God. You have the freedom not to worship God. You have the freedom to be an atheist. You have the freedom to worship the flying spaghetti monster if you want to. And that's one thing I think what is awesome about this country is a lot of countries don't have that. A lot of countries, you have to worship this deity or you have to be this. If not, you could potentially get murdered. But in America... You know, and I hate it when Christians, especially evangelicals, are like, hey, you know what? Uh, my uh, eventually, with the way the government's going, you know, we're not even going to be able to worship God. And I'm like, that is so preposterous. We're always going to be able to worship God. Um, no one, no one can, like, I'm in a bar. 
We're in a bar and bowling alley in downtown Minneapolis. And no one's coming in here, rushing in, shutting me down, saying, hey, Brian, you can't talk about Jesus. That might piss people off. No one's going into First Assembly of God in Mankato and saying, hey, you stop it. You stop talking about God because whatever. But just like we as Christians can't get mad if someone is practicing Buddhism or someone's practicing Wicca or someone's practicing their Hindu faith or no faith at all. And with that article, I didn't read it, but what it goes on to say was what's hurting a lot of evangelical churches is kids who were raised in that tradition, they get to uh, teenage years, they get to their young adult years or even in college, and then they re they're realizing we're, te we're being taught about love and grace and acceptance and inclusion, looking at who Jesus was friends with, and then our churches and our pastors and our denominational heads are like, yeah, that's true, but... If you have sex before marriage, then that's wrong and that's a sin. Well, yeah, but if we're saying, uh, if we're open to any form of sexual expression or sexual orientation, then where does it stop? And people are saying, well, no, but you're saying God's love. You're saying God's inclusive. You're saying God's this. But then they're realizing maybe their churches and their denomination aren't as open and affirming and inclusive as they once thought it was. And that's what I've said to my family. That's what I've said to friends who aren't maybe as progressive. I said, I don't care if someone goes into some of the God church or a Baptist church. If you find community and love in those places, great, go for you. But if you want to know why younger people aren't coming into church, it's because of these things. This article literally had said, this guy wrote it, and he's like, and it's not just in America, it's in Europe, it's in England. Younger people aren't going to church anymore because they hear the whole same thing over. Love, 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 no matter what, love, you know, include people, be inclusive. But then when they get to church, they're not doing it. The pastors aren't doing it. The community isn't doing it. And they're like, well, you know what? If I'm not going to be able to be a part of this, or my friend that's gay, or my friend that's bi, or my friend that's trans, if they're not going to be able to come in and to be part of this community with me or to be part of this faith, then I don't want to be a part of it. And let's be honest, a lot of it also is hypocrisy. A lot of it is legalism. People saying, don't do this, don't do that, but then you find the pastor had an affair. Or you're saying, oh, don't do that. You know, your pastor's like, give all the money to the church or whatever. And then they show up driving a BMW. People are, you know, people are waking up and realizing, hey, I can still love God or I can still be a person of faith, but not come to your church, not sign on the dotted line of, of being a member of a particular denomination. By the way, Coffee, once it starts getting cold, is very, very disgusting. <laughs> Unless you're drinking cold brew. Maybe a little bit, because someone can pour that in there for me. Um, and in just the last last little bit, what I wanted to say, thank you, Curtis. Um, I think the policies and ideologies of denominations is what's really hurting it. And like I've said before, um, policies, um, doctrinal beliefs. Like when I went to North Central University, 
down here in Minneapolis, we literally, the president at the time had, he was part of the Assemblies of God board of doctrinal purity. So literally, he was one of however many men, mind you, white men, who were saying, not only do we have doctrine, but this doctrine that we have has to be pure. To be literally part of this denomination, you have to believe this doctrine, and you have to be pure in heart and pure of mind of having it. So it's saying, even if you have in the back of your mind that you're, let's say, you don't think gay marriage is wrong, to be part of that tradition, you would have to literally come out and say, I think homosexuality is wrong because of this, 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 And you start seeing that seriously eroding within people now, within denominations. I, even growing up, Amanda and I grew up in the Assemblies of God, and I was told numerous times growing up that in the Assemblies of God, divorced, if you were divorced and you wanted to be a pastor, uh-uh, not happening. You wanted to be a lay leader, even a Sunday school teacher, were you divorced? Yep, nah, can't do it. And now so many people were getting divorced that by the time I was in college, the national body office, which is in Springfield, Missouri, said, okay, instead of having this whole national denominational rule about it, we're going to make it a case-by-case, church-by-church, they can say if it's right or wrong. And now you have so many people, which I don't think divorce is wrong, I don't think it's sinful, some people... Just some relationships need to end in divorce because of many different reasons. So doctrines, policies, and procedures within it, uh, control. And I've said that. That's my huge thing, and that's what I'm starting to realize the older I get as as someone who believes in Jesus still, um, someone who still has a lot of questions. But is churches will never say or act like they're wanting you like they're having control but it's it's in a way because anyone will say that manipulation is control right manipulate like when you manipulate someone to try to do something it's it's a a mechanism of control and so when i was even in the process of doing ordination stuff i was like pastors and leaders in this tradition were like you got to do this you got to do this and you got to do this And at first, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, like, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. I was jumping. You know, they say jump. I jump. But what I came back down to it is when I started just internalizing stuff, when I started talking to friends, when I started talking to my wife, when I started just thinking about it, when I started praying, when I would go on walks or whatever, I started realizing, hey, you know what? This is manipulation. They're telling me to do things that I don't feel is right, or they're telling me, uh, that if I don't do this, then I won't become a pastor. And I had some people tell me, hey, you know what? You cannot call, and I kid you not, I had people say, you cannot call yourself a pastor because you're not ordained yet. And I was like, but I have three degrees on my wall that will tell you differently. They're like, that doesn't matter. They're like, you have not had a body of men or women literally tell you that you can be a pastor and i'm like i yes i literally have i've had professors tell me that i have a doctorate in ministry i this community here now in dba it's a group of people you are saying i'm in, in essence a pastor sacred collective is a group and community of people they're saying that i'm a pastor 
And so I was like, yes, in a way I am, or I, I am, and that's why I say I'm a pastor, because I have a group of people coming around me saying, yeah, we will say that you're a pastor. You don't always have to agree with me, nor should you agree with me every time. But when I started understanding that and the idea about control, it was so easy for me to move away from organized institutional church because I was like, I will never fit into this bubble of what I need to do. In this conversation that I'm even having right now, you're not going to hear from any mainline church and you're not going to hear from any evangelical church. You're just not. You're not going to hear it because this is the kind of conversations that people are afraid to have. And I'm like, and you might be like, well, Brian, you're saying a lot of people that you've talked to. I'm not going to say the names that I'm saying because obviously I want to keep them private and anonymous, but it is staggering how many pastors are burnt out, uh, not just because of all the work they have to do, but they are literally having crises of faith because they do not know what they believe in anymore because when they came in 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, I know people that I went to seminary with at Bethel who were gung-ho about doing ministry and doing that, and now they have nothing, they're having nothing to do with it. Scotty, who I'm talking, like, like who I've said, he has numerous friends that have been in the ministry and all of them are like, I got out, I got out. Well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a professor now, or I'm a business person, or I'm a stay-at-home parent. Well, my spouse works. And to try to wrap this up, the American church, I should have maybe said it's not dead, it's dying. And maybe God is letting it slowly die. And this is my last point. So maybe we can help reconstruct it. Maybe we can help reconstruct it. And I had a lot of professor friends. I had talked with my professor friend Tim over break, and he was like, do you think deconstruction is this kind of new, uh, what did he say? Like, is it just kind of more like the emerging church? Because the emerging church was saying, there's new ways and new expressions of doing church. So out of the emerging church, you had things like, in essence, revolution, DBA, uh, other things. But now what deconstruction is doing is taking, and I was saying this to Amanda yesterday, and there was a book that I want to get. I saw it at Barnes & Noble yesterday, and it's actually written by somebody at MIT. Yes, that MIT. So obviously they know what they're talking about. And it's just a book about deconstruction because deconstruction is this philosophical you know, phrase. And literally the point of deconstruction is to literally say there is a problem. There's a problem in whatever. And I said deconstruction can be put in with religion and theology. It can be put in with economics and, and anthropology within that framework. But literally the point of deconstruction, the first like couple sentences of the thing was in the book was saying the point of deconstruction is to say that there is a problem but it's the point of deconstruction is not to fix the problem, but just to say there's a problem that exists. And that's what I'm saying here, uh, or what my friend Tim was saying is, 
I said so many people want to deconstruct because they're just like, well, if what I learned about Jesus is questionable, if what I learned about the church is questionable, then I'm just going to throw it all out and I'm going to be an atheist or I'm just not going to whatever. And like I said, if you want to do that, go go for it. I'm not, I'm not, I've never once said that I want anybody to be a Christian. I'm just talking from the heart. I'm talking from the gut. I'm wanting us to have good, rich conversations. And if I can leave you with some good, I don't know, food for thought to chew on. But what I said to him, as I said, I want to deconstruct, because obviously I know that there's a problem. And I'm not saying that's one thing with philosophers. They're not, philosophy will tell you, they're not here to tell to fix it. They're here to explain to you that there's a problem in whatever, A through Z. But it's up to you or to us as people to learn how to start fixing that. And I said, I'm the kind of person that I want to help people who have deconstructed to the point where maybe they don't believe in anything to maybe, and myself included, to reconstruct my faith or my spirituality that makes sense to me and that I feel can get closer to maybe the teachings of Jesus because clearly the what we're doing in America is clearly not working because what I've said with this whole conversation, just giving you the numbers of how it's failing. I know I've kind of been all over the place, but this is probably one of my most excited I've been about giving a talk because I feel like it's right up my alley. Um, and this is the stuff that in my own personal time, I'm studying all the time. I'm constantly on my phone or looking at articles because I don't want, I don't talk about this because I wanted to destroy the church. I do it because I want to edify it, but I think I, we need to have a new, understanding we need to do new constructs of god and one last thing i'll say is you know you heard the whole death of god talk and people think deconstruction is just bringing death of god stuff up well literally all that why the death of god stuff was so prevalent in the 60s is look at the culture of america and even in europe but all that the death of God stuff was saying is the constructs we have about God, about scripture, about reality, about heaven, are outdated, are, they're not relevant to us today. And we're exactly in that now, 50-some years later, 60-some years later. The concepts of God, of church, of community, of all these things are not relevant but instead of saying because they're not relevant that we should just push them all aside people like myself and others are saying hey these constructs these ideas of god are dead but we need to use new language new understanding new frameworks and new constructs and maybe to to reimagine and reconstruct faith and spirituality in a more positive in a more way that synthesizes really uh, the teachings of Jesus and get a, get out of doctrines and policies or what theological side you fall on this or that. So, anybody have any questions before we stop?
Um, can always talk after we're done recording. As always, everyone, thank you for listening, whether you're watching live or uh, when this goes up on Facebook. It does really mean a lot. Um, just every every view that that I see that someone has watched. I don't know who watches it, obviously, but I just thank you. Um, it's not about numbers. It's not about any of that. Like I was talking to Amanda yesterday, it's about knowing that we have good conversation, good interaction. And uh, like I said, I just want to give people have food of thought, maybe question things in a different way. If you disagree with me, that's more than okay. I would love to be in conversation with people of why you think I said something or whatever. And uh, yeah, so just uh, stay tuned. Um, I don't feel like I'm going to take any time off in the future. Um, when it's cold and cold, cold, cold outside, I kind of get intro, you know, introspective. And so I have all these ideas popping in my head of what I can talk about. But also, if there's anything that people want me to talk about, um, sometimes pastors get, you know, we get, uh, what is it? A writer's block or thinking block. So if there's a particular topic or scripture you want me to talk about, let me, let me know. Um, and as always, as I always kind of sign off, um, love one another, be kind to one another. Uh, this is what we have in the world. We have each other. Um, and when people say to be angry, be hateful, choose love, choose kindness, and, uh, that'll, that'll make a, make a world of difference. So have a great day, everyone. Till next time. Bye. Cold, cold, cold outside. I kind of get intro, you know introspective and so I have all these ideas popping in my head of what I can talk about but also if there's anything that people want me to talk about um, sometimes pastors get you know we get uh, what is it a writer's block or thinking block so if there's a particular topic or scripture you want me to talk about let me let me know um, and as always as I always kind of sign off um, Love one another, be kind to one another. Uh, this is what we have in the world. We have each other. Um, and when people say to be angry, be hateful, choose love, choose kindness, and uh, that'll that'll make a make a world of difference. So, have a great day, everyone. Till next time. Bye.